Hello, everyone. This is Rico, and this week for uh, Treks and Sci-Fi, this will be podcast uh, 301 for October the 17th, 2010. And I have a special guest with me today. Rick Pete is in, in the studio, in the new Rockford studio. The TSF, as I call it, the TSF, Rockford, Rock Tuine studio. <laughs> yes, the Rock Tuine, <laughs> yes, for those that watch the video podcast. So how are you doing today, Rick? I'm doing well. I'm excited about the podcast and uh, got the tour of the new digs. Very nice. Yeah, it's 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 okay. It's a, it's it's my bachelor pad. <laughs> yeah, right. See the ring. Yeah, I'm like a real big bachelor. But <laughs> yeah, we just had some chili. I got Rick all fed, and he's drinking his his green tea with some passion berry juice in it or whatever. Oh yeah. It's I'm all about the green tea, guys. Just, just saying. I'm gonna need to get one here in a minute. Too, my, uh, my soda is gone. But uh, anyway, today we're gonna be covering like uh, Rick and I did before. We did that special show well, months back now in the springtime, I think, about Klingons. All about the Klingons. We're gonna do today, though, all about the Vulcans. Mostly uh, focusing on Mister Spock, of course, being the probably one of the most famous Vulcans of all. Correct? Yep. Spock is the man. Spock is the man. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll add some to Paul and some Sarek and Tuvok yeah, little, in there. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit, but mostly trying to just cover, you know, what what's up with these pointy-eared hobgoblins and stuff, and, you know, how come they think they're so much better than us and all? Well, anyway, so that'll be today's show on Treks and Sci-Fi. We'll be right back with uh, with more from uh, Rock Tween. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for... Treks and Sci-Fi with Rico Dusty. The El Grey Hotter. Prepare to download my program into the autonomous emitter. Treks in Sci-Fi. Stand by to receive our transmission. Your weekly dose of sci-fi information and geeky goodness. Treks in Sci-Fi. The Vulcan brain never ceases to amaze me. Ladies and gentlemen, your host, Rico. Transfer complete. Okay, I'm back here with Rick Pete in Rock Tween, and uh, we've he he's he he has he has shown me and it made me very enamored of the iPad uh, when he brought it over with him today. So uh, I don't know, I'm real tempted. Still want to get a laptop, but uh, that iPad looks like it can do pretty much everything. Almost, I might need right, Rick. I think so. The only thing, the only, the only real, the only real limitation has to do with uploading pictures onto the website because that little browse button doesn't work on an iPad. That's why I always have to upload my photos to FTP. Oh, okay. So that's the. I mean, I, I mean I'm thinking from a practical perspective for you, that might be the only. Downside. So, does, so that it, the browse button just doesn't even show up, or it just doesn't it's do anything. Out. 
oh, it's grayed out. Oh, yeah. that's interesting, huh? I wonder why. Well, it, it does sort of give you, I guess, a little bit of pop-up when you do that. But anyway, that's something I'm sure it could be worked or worked around. But yeah, it's an, it's a nice little device. Well, we don't want to spend too much time just jibber-jabbering here or talking about other uh, things because we got a lot of stuff to talk about with Vulcan and Spock and everything. But I did want to pass on two two different stories. The first one is just that uh, Alex, I think it's Alex Kurtzman and Robert Orsi are uh, now officially scripting the next Trek movie. So Star Trek uh, 12 or whatever, <laughs> The Voyage to More Box Office and More Money. Uh, <laughs> the Voyage to More Money. Yeah, that's, uh, it will be, it's still set to come out in 2012, which doesn't seem so long away now. We're almost to 2011 in the June of 2012. So are you excited for that, Rick? I'm very excited. Good. You know, I suppose we'll start filming in May, so we'll see whether they hit that milestone or not. Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, I hope so. It, it's, it seems like this time, though, they're going to be really pushing it because that'll only give them about a year from filming to release. And I think last time they ended up with it like a couple of years almost. To So, well, I'm sure they've got a lot more of it worked out now. They've got, you know, hopefully some of those sets they didn't just trash, right? <laughs> they're well, stuck somewhere in a, in a warehouse some you know, someplace. So. Well, I'm not, I'm not so much worrying about the sets. It's the CGI. Cause I, I, True. The True. sense was when they pushed the movie release date like 10 months into the future. Yeah, it was going to be the holidays, and then it went to the summer or yeah. May. Yeah. So it gave them almost an extra year to do all their special effects. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe that's because they had to define the methodology for doing the special effects, which now yeah. they have done. But I want to make sure if they're filming in May, and let's say they're done filming in three months, is that going to give them enough time to do the special effects yeah. to the level that we all would expect? I think we'll be all right. I mean, I, I hopefully some of those, you know, they just pull up the Enterprise, you know, CGI file, and then they start flying it around again, <laughs> I, guess, I guess. I don't know. We'll see. I would imagine that they've got that figured out. I think it's getting... Uh, it's getting better all the time. Uh, the other story, though, that I just found out about actually this morning, which I hadn't heard, uh, is there is going to be another Planet of the Apes movie. Really? Yeah, it's called uh, it's called Rise of the Apes, and I know at least the one of the main actors in it is James Franco, and uh, he's been in you know quite a few things. I'm trying to think. Well, he was of course the uh, Harry in uh, the Spider-Man movies, Peter's friend. Who eventually then he becomes the Green Goblin, but uh, yeah, he's going to be in it. And the, the interesting thing I thought about this movie, Andy Serkis is in it also, who was in, you know played Gollum in their Lord of the Rings stuff. Yeah. But they're doing this sort of like Avatar in that there's going to be uh, a lot of CGI. The apes aren't going to be really makeup, from what I've heard and read, is they're going to be CGI'd in. And I've seen there's a, if you do a little Google search for Rise of the Apes and pictures, you'll find a couple where they're James Franco is walking along the street with like a girl and holding his hand, and you'll see a guy in like a motion capture suit walking next to him. So I thought that was pretty interesting that they're deciding to forego you know the whole ape makeup thing and they're just going to go CGI. What do you, what do you think about that? Uh, well, I don't know. I I wasn't a big fan of the remake in the first place. Yeah, I yeah. love the original. Um, well, this is going to be set in the present on Earth, so you know I think they're. So, but is it is it going to be a sequel from the last one? Because remember, in the last one, when he came back, he landed at the Washington Memorial, and it was I'm not present sure. day, but everybody was apes. Different, yeah. They, 
the little bit that I've read and found out, and I didn't have much time to look a lot of this up today, was that um, it's supposed to be the early days of, of, you know, it's called Rise of the Apes. So the apes are starting to learn and become intelligent. And I guess th- there's uh, some sort of scientific experiment thing going on, like in other words, kind of like Galactica and we created the Cylons. Here it looks like they're creating the apes. Okay, it, so we're not going to have we're not going to be we're not going to have one episode that one movie where they came back from the future and everything had been different and then or the changed. Little baby ape was going. Mama. Yeah, I don't know. I know that I know that the uh, the main ape or one of the main apes in it is called Caesar, though. Oh, so, okay. Well, at least that's so. It, it, you know, it, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I wasn't a big big fan of that remake that they did, uh, but you know, I, it might be good. You know, I, and I'm not sure how much they're using that first movie or that that remake movie as part of this. I don't really know. I just thought it was interesting that they're. They're doing it uh, CGI instead, yeah. of, instead of the usual ape makeup uh, way. So who knows? Well, you know me. I'm a CGI nut. If it comes out, I'll be there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Hey, we didn't want to, again, take too much time, but I thought there were a couple of interesting stories to pass on. We're going to take a very short break, and we'll come back and start talking about Vulcan, some of the early history of, of their people, and, and all of that good stuff. Computer, prepare personal communique to Earth. Direct transmission to Admiral Rico Dosti and Captain Rick Pete, Trek's in sci-fi department. Begin recording. Gentlemen, this is Commander Tuvok, formerly assigned to the Starship Voyager. Your choice to do an entire episode celebrating the accomplishments of the Vulcan people is commendable. I am aware this of the skill the two of you possess in regards to Federation history. I know you will do my people justice. I soberly await your conclusions. Live long and prosper. Okay, we're back. I just want to uh, again say that today's podcast is all about Vulcans and Mr. Spock and all of our favorite uh, you know, pointy-eared friends out there. Uh, I thought we'd have uh, Rick tell us a little bit uh, about the Vulcan people, their history. You know, most people are, you know, that are probably listening know some of this, but uh, we're going to give you a little bit more, hopefully, and some things you haven't heard before. So go ahead, Rick. And he's using his iPad again to do this. Ah, tempting. Oh, what can I say? <laughs> Just showing it in real life. Um yeah, you know, I guess the Vul- I've always been interested in Vulcans just because their history goes so far back prior to our own. Um, yeah. You know, and over, you know, hundreds and hundreds of episodes, we're, we've pieced together parts of Vulcans' mythology and, and their history. But it seems that they've been around since the 9th century B.C. in our, in our timeline, um, which is... A long time. Um, yes, exactly. They, they've been around yeah. and been around, you know, with you know te- technology that has far exceeded our own development. So it looks like from an origin story that they consider themselves to have risen from the Garden of Eden, Eden, which they call Shakari. For those of you who are of Star Trek Five, um, hey, thing. it was a good movie. What you know? So Shatner tried. What are you? What are you going to do? Hey, yeah, it was okay. It was all right, but um, but then since then there have been other you know references to the origins of, of the universe and of, and of Vulcan specifically. One had to do with the um, the Sarkon 
episode. I think it was. Uh, oh, with Sargon in the uh, yeah. from the original series, right? Return, yeah, to, Return tomorrow. to tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Where Sargon, you know, made a comment about that their people colonized the galaxy, you know, millions of years ago, and Spock made a reference that that would tend to explain certain elements of Vulcan prehistory. Um, right. There's been, uh, yeah, Sargon said that, and then he, there was like a TNG type of episode like that too, right? Yeah, I think that was, um, it was called The Chase, and it was about where <clears throat> one of, I guess, an archaeologist's friend or teacher of Picard's came to the ship and brought him a gift, and then he went off to explore and was killed, and so Picard took up the chase to find this the pieces of this DNA puzzle and he had to get Vulcans involved and he had to get Romans right. involved. Right. And when they finally found it, there was a race called the Preservers that had a hologram that said, Hey, you know, we seeded the galaxy and blah blah blah, you are all our children. So there's been a lot of a couple of different offshoots, if you will. All these aliens that. running around the galaxy, puts putting sprinkling little people on planets everywhere. Yeah. You know, but which is kind of interesting. That movie, Mission to Mars. You remember that movie, Lars? Yeah, I re- I've seen that movie. Yeah. We were we were basically the same thing. We were seated by the Martians before they went to their other galaxy. And yeah, that's right. I, yeah, I remember that now. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, we you know a lot of uh, sci-fi references have been you know books do that sometimes too, where there's just this idea that uh, well, I, I remember when Galactica, life here began out there, right? You yep. know, the the good old opening to the original series, uh, or the original Galactica series. Yeah. So I just thought, you know, so I thought it was interesting that, you know, we've, Trek has added its own, you know, origin stories to the, yep. to, to our mythos. But, um, you know, Vulcan started out as a very um, pagan, um, marsh, uh, almost like a feudal, Type society, um, but very much uh, warrior-like, um, belligerent. Yeah, not too really different from the early Klingons. I mean, they were they were pretty nasty, really. They were pretty nasty. And you know, they, they had gods of war and gods of death and gods of peace, and and they went through their own process of belligerence and wars. And even though the planet Vulcan has never been conquered, in the, as far as their history is concerned, they've had so many wars that at one point in the fourth century they had a huge war and they started using atomic weapons right just like we have been using atomic weapons yes and that was the age of when Sarah Surak came and said look there's another way said basically chill he said chill he said, everyone chill. <laughs> you know let's, let's 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 govern ourselves by logic yeah. and not by you know just raw emotion and that became to take shape. You know, people started to realize we don't uh, we don't want to kill ourselves. We got to do a different path. But there was another group, another faction who did not follow Surak's teachings. Right. And they, the ones that wanted to follow logic and the ones that didn't, had another war. And at the end of that final war, those who were who still wanted to go the old the old ways, they were called those who marched. The beneath. hippies will call them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> those who marched beneath the raptor's wings is what Surak called them, they were forced to leave the planet. And yeah, they, they kicked they, them out. They said, they leave, leave. You know, you don't want to, you know, it's our way or the highway. And so they, they left. They left, and they are now what we refer to as the Romulans. Yes, exactly. So they went off, and they 
they went to and found, you know, basically Romulus, Romulus and Remus, and uh, colonized those planets. And that's why eventually, even though they seem to at some point along the way then, Rick, they would have sort of forgotten about that. Because, of course, in like Balance of Terror and, you know, the, the Vulcans seem to be a little surprised that the Romulans look like them. You know, it's like some of that history got a little bit clouded over, you think? Well... I don't know. I think, you know, to the victor win the spoils. You know, yeah. People, to, just like Gowron, we wrote Klingon history about the Civil War. True. That didn't include uh, the Federation. I think that to a certain extent, the Vulcans were trying to submerge that whole, you know, that whole wartime period. Yeah. And I don't know. It, it could be very likely that though that group was shunned to such an extent that, you know, it's like. And maybe they didn't. not, you know, we're. we're, we're What's that word? What's yeah. that phrase people use? You are no longer you're, you're one no of us, or you, to me. yeah, you're 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 no longer you're my nothing. You're nothing to me. Yeah, you're nothing there. Well, maybe they were worried about contamination too, because obviously they nearly killed themselves through these wars until they got you know Surik came along and got them all united and started to do the logical purging of emotion and Colinar and all that, and 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 it's. You know, I, I would think that, you know, like a lot of times has happened even in Earth history that it's like, well, what, what people are afraid of, sometimes they kind of shun or, or try to keep that away from, you know, we don't want that bad influence talked about or thought about anymore. And if you don't tell your children, after generation after generation, who's going to remember? Right, you know, right. The priestesses over in Mount Salea may remember, but, you know, these other right. people may not. And. I, I, I think it's interesting at the movie the Star Trek Insurrection. Yes. It's almost the same story. You've got the people who stayed on the planet yep. who are peaceful. Yep. And, you know. Well, Nemesis know, and, is like that a little too. Suna yeah. Who came, was, it, was it the Suna they called them? Sona or the Sona, whatever. Yeah, something who like came that. came back yeah. to conquer. And. Well, who are they? They're their family. Yep, yep. And they discover their and that, they've done that kind of storyline throughout. I mean, I remember remember the cloud miners from uh, the original series. Oh, that's right. You know that story in Trek. You know of having basically two peoples that that they they slowly over the years become very distant and different, and then eventually they realize, hey, you're just like me. That was a Gene Roddenberry, you know, staple, and and it was his way of dealing with things like North Vietnam, South Vietnam, North Korea, South Korea, all of you know, you know, a lot of things in the Middle East. It's kind of like you know, when it comes down to it, we're all pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. And it was just his easy way of saying, like, look, here's a planet that went, you know, Vulcans here, Romulans, you know, are over there, but you guys are brothers, you know, you're the same, and that was. That was a common thing that they did lots of times. They did it in uh, in, in Nemesis, obviously, too, with with Romulus and the Remans. Yeah. yeah, or the Romulans and the Remans, you know, those two, and realizing, even though they looked a lot more different than other times in other shows where, you know, they discovered they were distant, you know, relatives, but uh, the same idea, you know. So then, so getting back to history, um, so that was in the 4th century when the teaching of Surak... Um, you know, began, you know, they called it their period of awakening. <clears throat> but then it took until the 19th century for Vulcan to completely rebuild its civilization and return to space travel. 
It took them that long to establish the philosophy, rebuild their society, you know, and, and begin to retrain and all of that. So yeah, but it's still the you know the interesting thing I think about all this is that they still because I think of their their discipline and their logic, they actually advanced faster than you know Earth did. So they 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 were able to you know they were doing space travel back when we were you know still horse and buggies and things. Although in Enterprise, I forget, I think it was a fight or flight episode. Um, what's the name of the? Uh, I think it was to Paul. Maybe was it to Paul, or was it the ambassador said that one of the reasons why Vulcan has been keeping their eye on Earth is that it took Vulcan fifteen hundred years to return, you know, to develop warp drive and oh, go to space, okay. and it took us a century to do it. Right. Well, it, it was a different sort of. We did it more like almost, in a way, accidentally to a degree. I mean, they they seem to sort of work the tried and true kind of way. I'll, I'll compare it to you know how to sometimes science research goes. Sometimes you just have an accident almost that happens, and you act, you stumble upon something. Where I always thought that Vulcan just kind of you know methodical methodical and it was the same you know i think because that's you know why in enterprise they were very resistant of letting us you know letting earth in the federation and stuff develop and starfleet get out there because they said they you're not you're not ready for this you're not really ready to go out there you you just figured this out and now you're going to go out and start flying around the galaxy and stuff so yep so then we get through you know we get through up to the 20th and 21st centuries where that's when they had established their little outpost in the Pajim outpost to look right, at the Andorians. Right, spying on the yeah. The, the Andorians, of course, were their big you know kind of nemesis early you mm-hmm. know early on in space. Oh, I forget one thing. The first reason, the first time the Vulcans ever even noticed Earth was back when Sputnik was launched. Okay, right, right. And it was when Sputnik was launched that the Vulcans started sending probes through our area of space just to keep an eye yeah you know they're little they're little they're little webcams spy cams (laughs) you know peepers doing anything you know Sputnik was hardly all that exciting for them but but then when we'll call them peeping vulcans peeping vulcans so but when then when then when they saw the warp signature then they decided to follow that ship back yes so first contact right yeah it's very interesting very very interesting um there's also there's also history that says that the Vulcans actually were around when the Arconians were around, and Arconians and Vulcans did not uh, get along too well. So there's yeah, there's it's interesting of- how they you know Vulcans being so sensible and logical, and I always thought on Enterprise and it's come out before, but. They don't get along with a lot of other people. No, they don't. Well, <laughs> they, they, they're a little hard to get along with. I mean, they, they have their way, you know, it's their way of thinking and they're logical. And if you're not really like that, they just kind of, well, well, you're not for us. We're, we're you know, and it, really humans, I think we're about their first more or less comrades or brothers and people that they could sort of at least tolerate, you know, so. Well, and I thought Enterprise did a really good job of talking about that issue of, what we saw, what what Archer and Tripp saw as Vulcans as being arrogant, snobbish, yeah. um, condescending, isn't unique to Earth as a perspective. I think right. lots of races thought of the Vulcans in that manner. Yes. Um, and it got through with DePaul and then with Spock 
finally for Vulcans to start to perceive humans as something other than a childlike race. Who else used that word for us when we were a childlike race? Um, um, I think Balok did on the original series, something you know, or maybe even uh, the Metrons from uh, yeah. Arena with the Gorn and all that fight, and in Trelane. Well, Trelane was kind of a child, he was a too, child too, but but anyway, yeah, they. That's the way they've always compared, you know, when they run into these super beings out there. You know, Q would, I think Q would probably be a good example. He used to say, you know, you're, you're just a child in the universe, you know. Yeah. So I thought it was good. And I, th- I think, if anything, I think maybe Vulcans over the years, over the centuries in, in the Trekian universe have been tempered by humans, have been tempered by, you know, I won't say being humbled by, because I don't think any Vulcan would actually... Characterize it that way. But to say, you know, we've seen Kirk do things, you know, that turned out pretty well and we could learn from that. Spock has learned from Kirk as well as Kirk learning from Spock. And and what was was that one episode in um, in TOS where, oh, I think it was the one where the Intrepid... Died. Oh, the, immu- the immunity syndrome, yeah, with the big space amoeba thing. Yeah, yeah. you know, and I, it always you know struck me that okay, here's a ship full of Vulcans, right? And they couldn't figure out what the Enterprise figured out. Yeah, and to me, the difference is, and it's almost like the the motion picture with Viger is, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of Vulcans. If everything is all logical. You have to have that ability to jump beyond logic sometimes to figure things out. Right. And I think the the trio of Kirk and Bones and McCoy provides the opportunity for those leaps beyond logic to take place and to then have that information, those insights incorporated into the whole. And I and I Oh yeah, definitely. You don't yeah, you don't want to have everyone who thinks exactly the same way you know that that's that's a bad situation you know whether you're in a little team doing something at a, at a job or in school or whatever right you you need different ways of approaching and thinking about stuff so yeah that's a good example of yeah here was a whole ship full of vulcans the smartest and the the most logical but they could not really work that problem huh. you know and and spock you know that's what and we'll get into this pretty quickly and, and pretty soon start playing some clips of of Spock over the years, but you know that's what makes him so special and unique. Really, is he's he's half human and he has, he's half Vulcan. So even though that's a conflict for him, but it gives him certain abilities and certain insight. I think that that you wouldn't have if you were just fully Vulcan uh, mm-hmm. at all. So yeah, that's a good good comparison. Yeah. Anything so, else we wanted to say on the history? You know, we'll get into some clips here now. Yeah. Uh, well, the only, the only other thing I was going to mention, you know, between the period of time of Enterprise and the period of time of, of TOS, that there was a reformation on Vulcan where High Command really began to take more control over... High Command was really more of a military-ish type of organization. Right, um, right. I mean, it wasn't like a military, but the military reported to them, you know, as a science... Academy reported to them, and they began to take more and more control over the civilian the civilians on the planet, mm-hmm. um, and began to deal with the people who didn't really follow the true teachings of SAR, quote unquote. So that part, I think, 
slowly change their thinking, getting to the point where they bombed Earth's embassy and then that we were forced to go to Vulcan and deal with that situation. And I think pretty much initiated the that, trans, that transformation of Vulcan so that the followers of Surak once again were able to reassert. Because they right. said they followed right. Surak, but it was almost like a, a tainted version of Surak's teachings. Yeah, right. That's what they did with most of, you know, or, or cap, happened in a few of the Enterprise episodes in the fourth season, especially where they had this sort of, I guess you call it like sort of a little extremist Vulcans or a little radical who wanted to stay. They thought they were trying to stay pure in a way, but they were really not being really not being logical, you know, that, that the, their progress and their future belonged to the you know, to partner up with Earth and become part of the Federation, and they were just going, you know, you're, you, well, yeah. Well, in, in high command at some point, I mean, they were even doubting Sorak, you know, and when right. they finally brought that artifact that right, what, showed the full teaching of Sorak on, you know, in a holographic image, yeah. you know, I think that began a whole, that whole reformation where they really went back to the teaching of Sorak. Yeah. You know, and perhaps and that... And that, that Helped a little bit too with the arrogance factor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, because the yeah, because the the Vulcans really during the you know the the seasons Enterprise was on, they were not really the Vulcans of TOS and beyond very much. They were kind of messed up, really. And it, it's interesting that they actually gained a lot, I think, by joining the Federation too. I think so. And Absolutely. and and it helped, I think, to sort of well bring them back to where they really should be and and, and they had kind of slipped away and and all that but uh yeah that's that's good and uh well go ahead go ahead Rick. i was gonna say that that artifact was called the kirshara right that they had brought back right and, uh, and have the have the administrator try to destroy that because they didn't want the teaching of surak to interfere with their rule in a way um i just thought that was pretty well that's you know even with vulcans i guess People in power get a little corrupted, I think. You know mm -hmm. that was uh, pretty interesting uh, that uh, that they weren't immune to that, and uh, so uh, yeah, that gets us up to about Enterprise. But we're going to start with um, it, not so much chronological, but at least on the on the history. Now we're going to switch over, kind of zip up a little bit more towards TOS era mm -hmm. and Spock being uh, probably the most famous Vulcan of all. And uh, we'll play, I'm going to play a, uh, a couple of clips here from uh, one of his first appearances in the second pilot of TOS, where no man has gone before. Your move, Captain. We should have intercepted by now. The bird said they'd call. I'll have you checkmated your next move. <laughs> have I ever mentioned you play a very irritating game of chess, Mr. Spock? Irritating. Ah, yes. One of your earth emotions. Certain you don't know what irritation is? In fact, one of my ancestors married a human female. Terrible, having bad blood like that. Bridge to briefing lounge. Object is now within tractor beam range. Kill Mitchell while you still can. Get out there. It is your only other choice. Assuming you make it while you still have time. Will you try for one moment to feel? At least act like you've got a heart? We're talking about Gary. The captain of the Valiant probably felt the same way. 
and he waited too long to make his decision. I think we've both guessed that. Set course for Delta Vega. Okay, so those are a couple of clips there from uh, the uh, the second pilot, uh, Where No Man Has Gone Before. So you get a little taste of uh, early Mr. Spock. He's kind of playing chess with Captain Kirk and kind of smiling in the first clip. And, and then he mentions something about this distant ancestor married a human female. <laughs> wow. He really doesn't like his dad. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I don't think they had it quite worked out yet exactly for his, his whole family tree and family history at that point. Plus, they obviously... This and in the first pilot, the cage, they didn't still have it worked out how much emotion he wouldn't show or would show because he's smiling and he definitely shows emotions in the in the first couple of pilots with uh, from Trek. And then it's slow. It, well, not too slow. It pretty quickly becomes that he doesn't after that. Yeah. But then the other clip, you know, the other interesting thing about that, which I liked where Spock is encouraging Kirk to kill Gary Mitchell, who's become this like super being. Uh, is they mentioned stranding him on Delta Vega, which yes, and where is Delta Vega? <laughs> <laughs> well, in the in the this most recent outpost right next to Vulcan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a distant outpost. Uh, at least in the original series, it was just this distant outpost that was set up for an automated kind of refinery type place. And but in the movie, yeah, last, last year's movie, it's it's like a, a another planet near Vulcan. For some reason, I don't know why they thought it maybe sounded cool, Delta Vega, you know, but they use that name in the Abrams movie for some reason. So uh, let's play a couple more uh, Spock clips from the original series. I think next up will be from The Naked Time. Mr. Spock. Mr. Spock. The men from Vulcan treat their women strangely. At least people say that. But you're part human, too. I know you don't. You couldn't hurt me, would you? I'm in love with you, Mr. Spock. Christine, please. I see things, how honest you are. I know how you feel. You hide it. But you do have feeling. Oh, how we must hurt you, torture you. I'm in control of my emotions. The others believe that. I don't. The engines were shut off. No time to regenerate. Do you hear me? We've got to risk a full power start. I expected my father, our customs. I was ashamed of my earth. Jim, when I feel friendship for you, 
I'm ashamed. You've got to hear me. We need a formula. We've got a risk implosion. Never been done. Understand, Jim? I spent a whole lifetime learning to hide my feelings. We've got to risk implosion. It's our only chance. It's never been done. Don't tell me that again, science officer. It's a theory. It's possible. We may go up into the biggest ball of fire since the last sun on these parts exploded, but we've got to take that one in 10,000 chance. Bridge to Captain. Engineer asked, did you find... Yes, I found Mr. Spock. I'm talking to Mr. Spock. Do you understand? Yes, sir. Three and a half minutes left, Captain. Yeah, so the uh, Nurse Chapel in love with Mr. Spock, and, uh, you know, even though uh, it's never quite returned. Yeah. You know, I felt bad for her the first few episodes of this (laughs) whole love thing, but after a while, it was getting kind of Well, they kind of stop it eventually. It only happens or comes up, I think, a few times, and then she's just kind of there. I mean, she's still kind of, you know... I think they stopped it after a mock time. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Well, oh, by the way, yeah, you've got this... Got this girl back on Vulcan. Oh, well, I'm not going to make you soup anymore. <laughs> and then, of course, the other clip there, which is a really good one with him and uh, Kirk going at it in the, in the briefing room and then, you know, in the, towards the end of that episode where you learn that Spock's mother is human. He's human. And, it is, and about his relationship with his father isn't all that great. And, yeah. You know, all that little self talk from Spock. Oh, yeah. That was real revealing. We didn't know any of that stuff until then. Yeah, and I, you know, I didn't, I didn't play that, uh, all of that, but there was a good part that I always liked in that where he's trying so hard to compose himself. You actually, you, you seldom really see. You see it a few times throughout the series and the movies, but you don't always see Spock lose trying it. to well lose it. But you also never see him really trying to get it back. You know where he's. I like how he's doing math. You know how he's doing like yeah. math. <laughs> six <laughs> times six is thirty-six. It's like <laughs> he's really going nuts. He's going crazy. He's just losing it. And I'm like, you know. And I, I sometimes find, you know, it's like, it, you know, where I'm maybe getting a little bit bothered by something. I'll, I'll find myself referring to that a little in a way and start trying to focus on something like a math problem or something, you know, to 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 just focus your your brains away from what you're all, you know, you're going through. And I guess that's maybe, you know, the same thing of count to 10, right? You know, count to 10, Spock, relax. (laughs) All right. Next up, I think is from still from the original series. And this is from this side of paradise, which was another time where, you know, some of these episodes are good because it's another time where Spock kind of loses uh, his logical uh, uh, control and demeanor. Yes, exactly. Spock! Yes, what did you want? Spock, is that you? Yes, Captain, what did you want? Where are you? I don't believe I want to tell you. Uh, Spock, I don't know what you think you're doing, but this is an order. Report back to me at the settlement in 10 minutes. We're evacuating all colonists to Starbase 27. No, I don't think so. You don't think so what? I don't think so, sir. Spock, report to me immediately. Spock, acknowledge. Spock, 
The frequency is open, but he doesn't answer. That didn't sound at all like Spock, Jim. No. I thought you said you might like him if he mellowed a little. I didn't say that. You said that. I. Not exactly. Well, he might be in trouble. All right, you mutinous, disloyal, computerized half-breed. We'll see about you deserting my ship. The term half-breed is somewhat applicable, but computerized is inaccurate. A machine can be computerized, not a man. What makes you think you're a man? You're an overgrown jackrabbit, an elf with a hyperactive thyroid. Ship. I don't understand. Of course you don't understand. You don't have the brains to understand. All you have is printed circuits. Captain, if you'll excuse me. What can you expect from a simpering, devil-eared freak whose father was a computer and his mother an encyclopedia? My mother was a teacher. My father, an ambassador. Your father was a computer, like his son. An ambassador from a planet of traitors. The Vulcan never lived who had an ounce of integrity. Captain, please don't. You're a traitor from a race of traitors. Disloyal to the core, rotten like the rest of your subhuman race, and you've got the gall to make love to that girl. That's enough. Does she know what she's getting, Spock? A carcass full of memory banks who should be squatting on a mushroom instead of passing himself off as a man. You belong in a circus, Spock. Not a starship. Right next to the dog-faced boy. Yeah, that's one of my favorite uh, episodes. One of my some of my favorite clips. There, good good stuff. First, of course, you know Spock has been affected by the spores, and he's getting all googly-eyed over Jill Ireland, and and that's that's good. What, do you like that one, Rick? You know, I, I really enjoyed that show when I first saw it. I, I actually have to say that the best part of it, though, was the whole insulting thing between Kirk and Spock. Oh yeah, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, he's uh, My well, he, was a they, they get in a lot of fights in this, and you know, in the first season, and, and beating each other up, and kind of kind of reminds me of what they did in the movie too, in last year's movie. You know, where where you know they really grab some of the most you know kind of base. the essence and base things, which was the classic. How can Kirk, you know, kind of piss off Spock, <laughs> you know, and, and that always seems to get, you know, what he wants out of him. And, uh, it, you know, it's it's really good. And uh, they do a great job together in those scenes. And, uh, and I think so. I think some of that, too, is Roddenberry making a point. Yeah. You know, of, you know the kind of insults that happen, you know, here in our, in our country sure. against, you know, people of different cultures and, and, and that are very and ideas or beliefs and everything right yeah, that yeah. are totally wrong and misunderstood and yet are used as, as hurtful so yeah so i i i, I kind of enjoyed that little repartee and, and, and the fact that they always you know kind of pull that back together i just the whole i still can't get my head around the idea of spock actually having relations with layla because you know <laughs> spores are not there's still the whole pull far thing. I mean, I don't know how that works. So, well, I, yeah, mm. we'll, we'll, we'll actually that's a good segue because I think next up is uh, the clips from Amok Time. Nice. What kind of biology? Vulcan biology. You mean the biology of Vulcans? Biology, as in reproduction. Well. 
There's no need to be uh, embarrassed about it, Mr. Spike. It happens to the birds and the bees. The birds and the bees are not Vulcans, Captain. If they were, if any creature as proudly logical as us were to have their logic ripped from them as this time does to us, How do Vulcans choose their mates? Haven't you wondered? I guess the rest of us assume that it's done quite logically. No, it is not. We shield it with ritual and customs shrouded in antiquity. You humans have no conception. It strips our minds from us, it brings a madness which rips away our veneer of civilization. It is the pawn far, time of mating. choice has been made, Spock. It is up to him now. He does not know. I will do what I must to bow, but not with him. His blood does not burn. He is my friend. It is said, thy Vulcan blood is thin. Are ye Vulcan? Or are the human? I burn to bow. My eyes are flame. My heart is flame. Thee has the power to bow. In the name of my fathers, forbid. Forbid. Pow, I plead with thee. I beg. He has prided thyself on thy Vulcan heritage. It is decided. All right, so I'm, I'm starting to, to realize that most of these clips I've gathered uh, showing Spock in, in TOS is when he's sort of not him his normal, sensible, logical self. But I think that's when we learn a lot about him, you know, in in the early days of the, of the show. And uh, and this, of course, is the Pond Far, where we learn about Vulcans mating, uh, you know, I guess once every seven years, you know, from what we can tell. You know, it's it, it, interesting to me because I would think because of the seven-year cycle, that would I would have thought it would have made it hard for Vulcans to develop interstellar space travel because they'd have to schedule everybody's <laughs> leaves on a seven-year cycle. Yeah, you know, or say, okay, fine, we have to have the your you and your mate both have to go on the trip 
on on ship together so that you don't have to go back to Vulcan if you get the Yeah, urge. but are we are we getting it a little off though? It, it, I guess I'm I'm starting to wonder. It's not necessarily that let's just say they they uh I'll use the term the the hokey pokey. <laughs> it's not like they can only like kind of get together every 7 years. Isn't it more of picking their their mate? During that time, I mean, is that the only time they're supposed to be like, you know, maybe we need to check some of our references. But, I mean, I always get a little confused on that fact. No, it's every seven years. Because remember in Voyager... So their kids would always be seven years apart then, well, well, at think, least? Well, I think they can I think they can enjoy relations whenever they want to. The hokey to. pokey. I'm calling it the, the hokey, hokey pokey. pokey. Yeah. <laughs> but I think every seven years, you have a biological imperative... To mate. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, that. Yeah, it's more like you know, it's like uh, yeah, right. They're 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 you know wolfing out like they were you know you know you know lycanthropes or something. I mean, it's like every seven years they have no choice. Well, that's right. Doesn't um, in Voyager don't they create sort of a holographic yeah. on the holodeck a, a, a wife of his when he's going through it when they're off in the Delta Quadrant. Because he's in, he doesn't want someone else. He doesn't feel that would be right. And they create his Paris Tom Paris. I think sort of creates a uh, a hollow version of his, of his wife. wife. Yep. So that uh, yeah yeah. So that it's it's during this time that they cannot control. They lose their emotions and all. But they uh, they can other at other times. At, but at this point, they're just they don't have any choice. Well, you know, we just listened to the episode when Spock yeah. and Layla had some fun. So. Clearly, yeah, they well, are there fully was the, functional, yeah. as Data would say. <laughs> yeah, fully, um, fully, but, fully yeah. hokey pokey functional. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it, you're right. Yeah, that's that's it exactly. But you know, on uh, for the most part, you never really you know they do the little two finger touch, which we're coming up to now. The next uh, couple of clips are from Journey to Babel, where we meet Spock's uh, parents, uh, Sarek and Amanda. But what happens? I guess my only other question about the whole thing is. With with Sarek and Amanda, and we're getting ready to go there, is they don't, I mean, he has, I mean, Sarek still is going through this, and he's able to do that with Amanda. With a human? With a human. So his biological imperative can be resolved without having to have another Vulcan female. So did, I wonder if Sarek had to go through the same um, Khalifi to break the bond that he had with him, when he was a child. Well, there's a. He, um, oh wait, no, no, he did get. Don't married. you remember he? Yeah, in the, and I think you've got some clips. I don't think they say they talk about it exactly, but he had another Vulcan, another Vulcan wife. wife did I don't, she I, die? Was it a maid or a wife? We'll have to. We'll do a, a little maid? check. We'll we'll yeah, maid. <laughs> I don't see Vulcans having maids. Something just doesn't seem right about that. But we'll we'll check into that. Uh, as we continue with our look at Vulcans and Spock, here are some clips from Journey to Babel. Have you met Garth before, Ambassador? We debated during my last council session. Ambassador Garth lost. Spock, I've always suspected that you were a little more human than you let on. This is Sirak. I know about the rigorous training of the Vulcan youth, but tell me, did he ever run and play like the human children, even in secret? Well, he, uh, he did have a pet salad he was very fond of. Salad? It's sort of a, a fat teddy bear. 
A teddy bear? Excuse me, Doctor. It has been a rather long day for my wife. Captain. Ambassador. A teddy bear? Not precisely, Doctor. On Vulcan, the teddy bears are alive, and they have six-inch fangs. Bridge to Captain Kirk. And you, Sarek, would you also say thank you to your son? I don't understand. Well, for saving your life. Spock acted in the only logical manner open to him. One does not thank logic, Commander. Logic? Logic? I'm sick to death of logic. Do you want to know how I feel about your logic? Emotional, isn't she? She has always been that way. Indeed. Why did you marry her? At the time, it seemed the logical thing to do. All right, so those are a couple of clips there from Journey to Babel where we learn about Spock's parents, his father, Ambassador Sarek, and his uh, his mom, uh, uh, Amanda Amanda Grayson, I think was her maiden name. So, and then we we did find out about Sarek's uh, previous not wife, but someone he was bonded to, a Vulcan, correct? Yeah, he was bonded. He was bonded to a Vulcan princess, but they never married. Right. But this is where Cybok. This, this is, is where his half brother that they from. come that featured in uh, Star Trek V. That of course all those years and episodes and adventures that that never Spock just never him. really mentions. Of course he doesn't mention he's got parents that are coming aboard the Enterprise for this episode either until they're just there. And oh yeah, my father he's the ambassador that's going to come with us and all. Yeah. But uh, well, I thought it was interesting with Cybok, just because one that was a different mother. Yes. And he, he, he was born, but then he lived with his mother. He didn't live with Sarek until his mother died. Yes. And then he came to live with, in their home, and that's how Spock and, and Cybok met, knew, knew each other. Right. But then Cybok left because he and his father had a falling out over this whole issue around emotions and whatnot. And, yeah, the interesting thing I always thought about that, too, was Cybok being purely 100% Vulcan, and he was more, you know— he let his emotions out more than Spock really ever did, even though our clips today are a lot of times where Spock has lost his ability to control his emotions. He's usually the typical, very logical, sensible Vulcan, and uh, and Cybok is not. He embraces the emotions and, and feels they're important part of him. So, Yeah, and he also abuses it. Of course, yeah. But that's a different. That's a different. Well, he kind of abuses his Vulcan abilities too. He, yeah, that's you know, what I meant. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, uh, and you know, the, the, the theory the theory is is if it's true that Sargon and his race seeded Vulcan, uh-huh. then that's where the Vulcans got their telepathic abilities from. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, because of the powers that Sargon's race had. So I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, yeah, because of course, and we haven't talked too much about that. I mean, you know, we went through their history, but, you know, Vulcans, besides being, you know, fairly advanced, can live longer than humans. They they have a, a, this telepathic ability. They can do mind melds generally, except in the, um, it starts out in TOS where you see them melding with a non-Vulcan. You know, they don't really, it's a pretty private thing and they don't like to do it. They don't like to do it, period, let alone with uh, an off-worlder, you know. 
Yeah, my impression is usually it's only used with bonded mates to to initiate the bond and then right. complete they the bond. They don't walk around the streets, you know, hey, baby, and, yeah, and give read, your your, read your mind. Yeah, give, me your, <laughs> give me your thoughts. Yeah, okay, we'll meet, up, we'll meet up later. I think it's also built into their, I don't want to say religion, but it's, it's built into their mysticism because – up in Mount Salaya, you know, like we, if we get to, we get to Star Trek Four with the fusion and all that. Right. That's all based on touch telepathy, and so I right. think that's why they don't do it that much because it's really more of a these are things done during sacred times, not just oh yeah we just do willy it nilly way. right. Well, they they're a very controlled race, and they you know the and you mentioned the touch thing for the most part they have to be in physical contact you know spock isn't mr you know he's not you'll notice during the show he he doesn't they don't shake hands he you know they're not he's he usually has his hands behind his back they do the vulcan greeting which you know mm-hmm. they've uh they've used that over the years throughout the original series and the movies and so forth and and all the other trek shows when vulcans were involved uh but uh yeah they're not uh, the the touch thing even though they can control the the telepathy parts and telepathic features of their you know their being they they don't really use them like you said so in the uh, Star Trek encyclopedia it says that um Sarek and Grayson were married in the year 2230 okay and that he and then in a scene that was cut from Journey to Babel um it said that Sarek was an astrophysicist before he became a diplomat Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought it was an interesting little. Well, he's about a hundred and you know five or something in in Journey to Babel. So I mean, he's had plenty of time to have you know at least maybe a couple of careers or or whatever. I'm sure. So, uh, and I yeah, I think he you know he went to the Vulcan Science Academy too, or where where Spock eventually of course goes to Starfleet and uh, and turns down that even though he you know that's what really creates a big rift between him and his father is that Spock goes off to Starfleet and, and leaves Vulcan and then that's um and that's of course what they also still did with the last year's movie as well they kept that that in place where he felt you know that he had to leave Vulcan to really yeah you know, kind of make his place in the universe I guess so. you figured is Sarah, Sarah was born in 2165 and he died in 2366. So he was 201 years old yeah. when he died from um, Ben Ben Dye syndrome. Right, right. In that TNG, which we're going to get to here uh, very soon on Treks in Sci-Fi. And next we are going to be covering uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture with some clips for you to listen to of Mr. Spock and... Some of the changes he goes through in that first of the Star Trek movies. Science officer Spock, reporting as ordered, Captain. Please. Spock, you haven't changed a bit. You're just as warm and sociable as ever. No, have you, Doctor? As your continued predilection for irrelevancy demonstrates. Gentlemen. At last report, you were on vote. Apparently to stay. Yes, you were undergoing the culinary discipline. Sit down. If you are referring to the culinary, doctor, you are correct. Well, however it's pronounced, Mr. Spock, it's the Balkan ritual supposed to purge all remaining emotions. 
Rick Colonar is also a discipline you broke. To join us. Will you please sit down? On Balkan, I began sensing a consciousness from a source more powerful than I have ever encountered. Thought patterns of exactingly perfect order. I believe they emanate from the intruder. I believe it may hold my answers. Well, isn't it lucky for you that we just happen to be heading your way? should have known. Were you right? About feature? A life form of its own. A conscious living entity. A living machine? It considers the Enterprise a living machine. That's why the probe refers to our ship as an entity. I saw Veja's planet. A planet populated by living machines. Unbelievable technology. Vidra has knowledge that spans this universe. And yet, with all its pure logic, Vidra is barren. No mystery. No beauty. This simple feeling is beyond Vidra's comprehension. No meaning. No hope. Jim, no answers. It's asking questions. Is this all that I am? Is there nothing more? Yeah, so at the beginning of the motion picture, Spock is on Vulcan. He's trying to go through the colonar where he's purging all of his emotions. And that. then he gets this sort of call from space, <laughs> right? <laughs> Viger's calling him. Spock, Vigers come back. Come back. Join the Enterprise. Join them in your cool your cool cape. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, a little bit of Harry Potter in there. So yeah. It works. And then, uh, you know, we learn a little bit about what Spock is going through. He, he eventually makes contact with Viger, and that, that changes Spock. And I think that's, you know, one of the biggest, most important things that happens in the motion picture and that... Spock realizes that purging all the emotion out of him is really not the best approach because there, you know, V'ger is this sort of living machine, but it's cold, emotionless. And you had something to say. You wanted to say something about that planet that V'ger went to that you thought uh, seemed similar to other things we've seen in Trek. Well, you know, at first when you were talking about the fact that, you know, V'ger or Voyager Six ended up at this planet with living machines and the first thing I thought of was oh I wonder if it was a Borg planet but right. I would figure eh, I think his memory would be smart enough to distinguish between, between a cyborg and a machine and just so, a machine right so maybe it went to the same machine or to the same planets that the changeling nomad went to yeah well, was another right well know, no- it merged with the other and that other came from that planet came from that planet as well maybe yeah i mean change, the changeling you know nomad came or merged with this other sophisticated 
alien probe and maybe it came from a planet like that but but again here you have spock you know this vulcan that uh, throughout the original series he tried to become more kind of you know maybe a little bit more vulcan tried to keep the emotions out of things and went through all those episodes of problems with his emotions and uh, so he goes you know you pick him up in the motion picture where he's even colder and and less emotioned uh, or less emotion filled and to all the crew when he first comes aboard he's he's like a machine he's, he's almost detached like yeah he, he's yeah. very very detached and uh and then by the end of it though he becomes you know a, a nice blending of the spock that we see from then on in the other movies of he sort of accepted his his emotions and he kind of can he can use the best of both worlds you know well you know I, I, looking at it from a, from a certain point of view yes um I oh, think we're that blending maybe all that, uh, franchises. <laughs> that maybe, you know, when he was going through all that coal and art stuff, to me that's almost seems like a brainwashing type thing, right? So then he goes to merge with V'ger, gets the big electronic shock. It's almost like electro shock therapy. Yeah. So then when he wakes up in Six Bay, he's back to normal again. Kind of, yeah. All that all that programming was wiped out. Yeah, yeah. We get our Spock back. Yes, we get our Spock back. So, And next up, we'll uh, be looking here at the next movie, uh, a little bit, a couple of Spock clips from The Wrath of Khan. Nice. I love that movie. If memory serves, regular one is a scientific research laboratory. I told Starfleet Command all we had was a boatload of children. But we're the only ship in the quadrant. Spock, these... Cadets of yours, how good are they? How will they respond under real pressure? As with all living things, each according to his gifts. Of course, the ship is yours. No, that won't be necessary. Just get me to regular one. As a teacher on a training mission, I am content to command the Enterprise. If we are to go on actual duty, it is clear that the senior officer on board must assume command. It may be nothing. Garbled communications. You take the ship. Jim, you proceed from a false assumption. I am a Vulcan. I have no ego to bruise. You're about to remind me that logic alone dictates your actions. I would not remind you of that which you know so well. If I may be so bold, it was a mistake for you to accept promotion. Commanding a starship is your first best destiny. Anything else is a waste of material. I would not presume to debate you. That is wise. In any case, were I to invoke logic, logic clearly dictates that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Or the one. You are my superior officer. You are also my friend. I have been and always shall be yours. Spock! Ship. Out of danger. Yes. Don't grieve, Admiral. It is logical. The needs of the many outweigh 
minds of the few. Or the one. Yeah, so a couple of great clips there that Rick grabbed from Wrath of Khan, and and he was just telling me he's got a he's got a good good point about this movie that I think is 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 really interesting, even though we've all thought about this movie and looked at it so much. Well, you know, I think we there's a lot of there's always a lot of discussion on which is the best Trek movie, and you know, this movie Wrath of Khan is always either is always in the top two. I I love the movie. I love the action. I love the villain. I love Khan. But the reason why I think, my own opinion, of why people resonate with this movie so much is that this movie is really about the relationship between Kirk and Spock. That's what it's really about. When you look at all the actions, even in the original, you know, fight between Khan, you know, between Enterprise and the Reliant, it's Kirk and Spock working that through. Coming up with the prefix code, that whole thing. Yeah. And then at yeah. the end, or in the middle, when Kirk is in the Genesis cave, and he's like, I don't like to lose. And he flips the communicator, Spock, you ready? You know, and, he's, yeah. and Spock's right there. Those two have such a tight relationship that they don't have to talk. They know what each other's thinking. They know how each other works and what their strengths and weaknesses are. And that friendship is just so solid. And at the end, when Spock dies... You can't get a more emotionally poignant, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, scene to yeah. show that relationship, and it just shows how much they, you know, that Spock will do for his friend, and Kirk would have done the same thing if he had been there and had the ability or whatever. And the, and I, yeah, it's it's a great point. It is about the two of them a lot of this movie, and it's about the two of them in sort of different places at one point. You know, Kirk is. You know he's been promoted to an admiral. He's in Starfleet, really. I mean, he's 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 he doesn't he's not aboard the Enterprise anymore. But he gets pulled back in, and that's where they work best together. Yep. And the other interesting thing is they each sort of have a protege in this a little bit. I mean, you you have Savik with with Spock, and you also have David, Kirk's son, mm-hmm. sort of learning from his father. 
you know, in a way. So, they, you know, there's a lot of really n- interesting nuances and things in, in, about this movie that beyond just the whole con and, and all that great stuff and the action and, and the fights there that uh, that really sometimes I think people know about it. And, and, know, and re- like you said, they respond to it, but it, it's it's real important. And it just it's been something that they built throughout all the years in the movies, then it got them to this point in time. And just, yeah, it's just great, great stuff. And uh, and it, like you said, they know each other so well. That's why in that scene, Spock is able to tell Kirk, you know, you know, that just take the ship, you know, this is your best destiny. And, and, and in this case, Spock's destiny was to save the ship and, and, and keep them out of danger and save his friend and their, and the rest of the crew. Yeah. And, just, just great writing, you know. And you mentioned David, and I, and I, the writing was excellent. David, who's never, ever seen his father face to face, but you look at David as a character. There are a lot of similar personality traits between David and Kirk. Oh yeah, you yeah, definitely. He's in, a little bit of a hothead. He's 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 just he's impulsive. Yep. And yep. he's brilliant. He's, he's a little smart. cocky and, and everything. Yeah, definitely. In, in, in a way, you think about him in terms of like the younger Kirk that we see in last year's movie, you yes. know, played by Chris Pine. Those two very much alike, really. Yep. So, uh, yeah, it was good stuff. All right. H- hate to even leave that movie, but we're going to go off now on to uh, Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Child of Scone, child of Solkar, the body of your son breathes still. What is your wish? I ask for Fal Torpan, the refusion. What you seek has not been done since ages past, and then only in legend. Your request is not logical. Forgive me, Tilar. My logic is uncertain where my son is concerned. Who is the keeper of the Katra? I am. McCoy, Leonard H., son of David. McCoy, son of David, since thou art human, we cannot expect thee to understand fully what Sarek has requested. Spock's body lives. With your approval, we shall use all our powers to return to his body that which you possess. But, McCoy, you must now be warned. The danger to thyself is as grave as the danger to Spock. You must make the choice. I choose the danger. Hell of a time to ask. I'm all right, Jim. What about Spock? Only time will answer. Kirk, I thank you. What you have done is... What I have done, I had to do. At what cost? Your ship, your son. If I hadn't tried, the cost would have been my soul. 
My father says that you have been my friend. You came back for me. You would have done the same for me. Why would you do this? Because the needs of the one outweighed the needs of the many. I have been and ever shall be your friend. Yes. Yes, Spock. The ship. Out of danger. You saved the ship. You saved us all. Don't you remember? Jim. Your name is Jim. Yes. Yeah, so there in this movie, you know, Kirk gets to basically save Spock, in essence, and shows what he'll do and sacrifice in a way not always intentional. Klingons kind of get in the way a little bit, but uh, he ends up uh, getting Spock back, basically. Yeah, and you know, it starts off, you know, Sarah comes to Kirk's home and and they do a mild meal because Sarah assumes that Spock's contra is in Kirk. And then Sarah, in an uncharacteristic move, apologizes because he does a mind meld, which forces Kirk to relive everything. And Kirk, there's a little, and a little Indian tear thing comes down, and, yeah. and he apologizes for putting Kirk through that. And then they decide, oh, we got to get, we'll get him. And right. That starts the whole. The right. Whole and then they adventure. realize it's McCoy that that has the the Katra. This uh, and this is one of these interesting Vulcan things. They sort of, you know, sometimes they pull these a little bit out of the hat. You know, where. Here's a new Vulcan ability that you've never heard or seen or known about before <laughs> that that as they're if they're dying, they have this ability to and they do use this a few times and pretty interestingly uh, on Enterprise and it comes into play um, related to the you know past uh, Vulcans of Surak and, and, and Captain Archer, but they have the, the cart this this uh, this ability to this Katra, their 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 essence, their soul, their personality, whatever you want to call it. Everything they are except for the physical body, you know, basically Spock is able to, in a quick touch to McCoy, give him all that. And the cool thing I always liked about Star Trek Three is the uh, the little bits of Spock that start to, to start to slip into McCoy, you know, during it before they are able to refuse them. And, yeah, uh, like the scanning when he says, yes. did I do it right? Yeah, exactly. And uh, and then eventually, of course, they get Spock back, his regenerated form from, from the Genesis planet, David ends up getting killed, and, and, and Kirk, you know, has, you know, unintentionally, these things have happened just to try to save his friend. And, and you know, he has to blow up the Enterprise. Pretty big deal back then when this movie came out. So, Well, you know, and then we go back to what, we, what we've said earlier, is looking at the Sargon, at the mythology of the origins of Vulcan, yeah. that if Sargon, if that race did see the planet, there was... A, forced, a foreshadowing of this ability in terms of the Katra because Sargon placed his their, his, their um, essence their in essence those little inside those of, little beach balls, yeah. In the balls, <laughs> but not just that. What what's really important was he placed his it, essence inside he placed Spock's Katra inside of Christine Chapel so that they could force um was it Enoch to fled the to flee the body? Oh, of right. Spock. Yes. And so then they yes. were so they were all lamenting that okay, Spock's gone. 
Well, not really. No. Sargon then transferred. They shared consciousness. They or shared whatever. consciousness. Yes. <laughs> so that, even in the original series, in my opinion, that's kind of a Katra type thing. True. And they transferred it back into Spock's body. So that's almost yeah. like that refusion capability. Yeah, yeah. and, and you then. know that. Yeah, that's even though they were doing it there sometimes with non-Vulcans, but this ability for this personality to be saved like that, uh, it's pretty interesting. And uh, I always wondered, you know, if there's some big like you know. Vulcan mausoleum with all these Katras. I mean, do they, it's like, I mean, what do they do? Do they like, uh, you know, okay, you're dying. Where? Do, well, does it go into someone who's already has a personality? You know, like no. a McCoy situation? Because they kind of imply that because McCoy can't quite really handle it because he's not Vulcan. Because he's not Vulcan. Yeah. But in reality, there's, there's a book, and I cannot remember what it is. But I'll, we'll look I'll it up look during it up. the next clips. <laughs> um, there was a book that talked about this, and there is... In Mount Salea, there is a temple where Katras are stored, and they are stored in a globe, almost uh-huh. like a holocron. Yeah. And the high priests and priestesses can speak to those consciousnesses uh. by touching the globe and speaking to them okay. telepathically. Yeah. And that's a way for them to... to they don't do it for all Vulcans, but for the really revered Vulcans of their times, mm-hmm. they say keep their Katra that way. Right. Which is, again, very similar to the whole Sargon Globe yeah, thing. Yeah, that's a good good comparison. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, next up, we will, of course, go to, into the next movie a little bit, and at least related to Spock. Uh, this one's a pretty fun one. Of course, we have The Voyage Home, Star Trek Four next. Hi. Busy? Uhura is busy. I am monitoring. Hmm. Well, I just want to say, sure, it's nice to have your Katra back in your head, not mine. What I mean is, I may have carried your soul, but I sure couldn't fill your shoes. My shoes? Forget it. Perhaps we could cover a little philosophical ground. Life. Death, life, things of that nature. I did not have time on Vulcan to review the philosophical disciplines. Come on, Spock, it's me, McCoy. You really have gone where no man's gone before. Can't you tell me what it felt like? It would be impossible to discuss the subject without a common frame of reference. You're joking. A joke is a story with a humorous climax. You mean I have to die to discuss your insights on death? Forgive me, Doctor. I'm receiving a number of distress calls. I don't doubt it. All right, who the hell are you? What were you doing in there? Yeah, speak up, though. Attempting the hell to communicate. Communicate? Communicate what? You have no right to be here. You heard the lady. Admiral, if we were to assume that these whales are ours to do with as we please, we would be as guilty as those who caused their extinction. Okay. I don't know what this is all about, but I want you guys out of here right now, or I call the cops. I assure you that won't be necessary. We're only trying to help. The hell you were, Buster. Your friend was messing up my tanks and messing up my whales. They like you very much, but they are not the hell your whales. I, I suppose they've told you that, huh? The hell they did. Right. Spock. Yes? About those colorful metaphors that we've discussed, I don't think you should try using them anymore. Why not? Well, for one thing, you haven't quite got the knack of it. 
I see. And another thing, it's not always necessary to tell the truth. I cannot tell a lie. I don't mean lie. But you could exaggerate. Exaggerate? Exaggerate. You've done it before. Can't you remember? The hell, I can't. What else did you learn from your mind meld? They're unhappy about the way their species have been treated by man. Well, they have a right to be. Are they going to help us? I believe I was successfully communicating our intentions. I see. I'm returning to Vulcan within the hour. I would like to take my leave of you. It was most kind of you to make this effort. It was no effort. You are my son. Besides, I'm most impressed with your performance in this crisis. Most kind. As I recall, I opposed your enlistment in Starfleet. It is possible that judgment was incorrect. Your associates are people of good character. They are my friends. Yes, of course. Do you have a message for your mother? Yes. Tell her I feel fine. Live long and prosper, father. Live long and prosper, my son. Alright, so the voyage home, Spock is sort of back to normal, still trying to kind of, you know, figure out himself, being retrained in Vulcan history, and then they go back to Earth in time to uh, save a couple of whales and transport them to the future and fix everything. Sure. Got some great moments in this uh, in this one, and probably Spock, some of his most emotional moments in a way in, in this movie, I think. You know, I, I really enjoyed this movie. I love the humor in it. Um... I would have gotten the clip from when they're on the bus, but oh, yeah. <laughs> y- 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 there's no words. You just have to watch it just for yeah. the mind yeah. to put the pinch on that one guy. Yeah, the good old head. Vulcan nerve pinch, you know, <laughs> which we haven't talked too much about, but you know that started in the original series and was a way that they were discussing. Um, Spock had to basically knock somebody out in a and, nonviolent way, right? And, and they thought it was very crude for this Vulcan, this alien, to just punch him. So Spock had, you know, they had this idea of this this nerve pinch at the, you know, base of the neck to kind of, and I've heard different theories about it over the years. You know, I've heard people say, well, Vulcans can exert some kind of energy or something, but I always took it as that they're just sort of like they're so strong, they're pinching a nerve there that cuts out the blood flow to your brain for for a few seconds, just enough to incapacitate. That made more sense to me than I mean, I've been in conventions where they talked about it. You know, saying it, 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 they could put this energy into you know a person, but yeah, no, I think it's physiological for two yeah. reasons. I always thought that they were cutting off the carotid artery long enough yeah. to because you do that for like five seconds in your in real life, and somebody will pass out. That's like when they yeah. do that chokehold, right? Until you pass out. That's yeah, the, the patented twenty four Jack Bauer chokehold that he could just grab somebody and. Okay, don't don't fight it, and yeah, within and then like they pass out. yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a that's a real thing. So, yeah. So I and that's the one. That's the first reason. The second reason is Data can do it. Right. They, yeah. the Data did it in the reunification episodes in TNG. Yeah. When he knocked out Sailor using the same thing, and Spock was like, oh, yeah. Good job. So <laughs> seems yeah. like she should teach them all, but but of course you he's know, tried to teach Kirk many times. Yeah, and and, and and Data was also stronger too. You know, yes. so he could pl- apply maybe 
and plus it, maybe he was smart enough to know exactly right where to do it so um but yeah good good movie lots of fun fun clips and i really like how it ends where where, where spock and, and, and his father sarek have that little conversation and kind of come to sort of an agreement that spock he kind of said more or less as best he can say spock you know you've done okay with your life and uh, you know and that and then he has that message for his mom and that he's okay and yeah well that he feels fine and i think that's very key you know because in the beginning there was a when he's being re-educated yeah he doesn't he doesn't know the computer asks how do you feel and he's like i don't understand the question and his mom's like well you're human and you're half human the computer knows that yeah so, it's, it's kind of like his katra and his personality sort of be, have slowly to to sort of reintegrate themselves in yeah. this in this movie too, and this adventure that he goes through with his his friends and comrades, you know, that that they get to they help him sort of come back in a way. And this was you know we saw in the in the third movie, obviously Sarek loves his son. Now in the fourth movie, we see them reconcile because he says you know. I uh, I wasn't in favor of you going to Starfleet, but I might have been mistaken. Yes, exactly. You know, I mean, that's as close as, as Sarek's going to get to saying... Good job. Good job, yeah. Yep. All right, next up we have uh, the fifth uh, Star Trek movie, The Final Frontier. I don't have any clips from that. Oh, well, we're going to skip that then. <laughs> but we've already we talked to, about... We can talk about well, We talked about Cyborg. <laughs> this um, is live, folks. Uh, it, it is... Um, uh, yeah, obviously that one's the one, you know, Cybok, we learn about some things. We learn about uh, that he has this half-brother, that he's sort of, you know, maybe embarrassed about it. Who knows, whatever. But it's, you know, I, I've said it many times before, and I think when I review the movie too especially, you know, I just, I, I like that movie for quite a few things. Overall, maybe not the best, but I think there's some great moments in it. I love the campfire stuff and the camaraderie between the, the three main, you know, McCoy and Spock and Kirk and you get to see some nice moments for again between those three. Between those three, yeah. yeah. I, you know, this whole idea of the planet for galactic peace—we only hear about yeah. it in this movie. We never hear about it again. Right. The thing is a piece of desolated <laughs> rock. Who, who came up Nimbus with that idea? Three, yeah, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I like uh, you know the David Warner's character Sinjan. You know, he's like. You know, he's like, welcome to this, you know, hole in space. <laughs> he's just like, yeah, when he welcomes the Romulan ambassador and all that and the Klingon ambassador. And, yeah, it's exactly. Well, there's something always interesting in in, in Trek and even in Star Wars that these these amazing things that all this stuff happens in, in, in like Tatooine, you know, or whatever. It's just, but they're just nothing. You know, they're, they're like these back-end water worlds, you know. <laughs> it's not like this paradise or anything like right. that. I think that, that you know, I, I, sometimes I think they're trying to make a point that it doesn't have to be this, you know, um, just amazing place for for great things to happen in. So, But then I guess we'll go into uh, the sixth movie, The Undiscovered Country, which has some good uh, Spock moments again. So we'll play a couple of clips from that. Diving on ashes. You were right. It was arrogant presumption on my part that got us into this situation you and the doctor might have been killed the night is young you said it yourself it was logical peace is worth a few personal risks you're a great one for logic i'm a great one for rushing in where angels fear to tread 
We're both extremists. Reality is probably somewhere in between. past the death of my son. I was prejudiced by her accomplishments as a Balkan. Gorkin had to die before I understood how prejudiced I was. Is it possible that we two, you and I, have grown so old and so inflexible we have outlived our usefulness. Would that constitute a joke? Don't crucify yourself. It wasn't your fault. I was responsible. For no actions but your own. That is not what you said at your trial. That was as captain of the ship. Human beings. But, Captain, we both know that I am not human. Spock, you want to know something? Everybody's human. Find that remark insulting. You have to shoot. If you are logical, you have to shoot. I do not want to. What you want is irrelevant. What you've chosen is at hand. I just assumed you didn't. The operation is over. I did not fire. You cannot prove anything. Yes, I can. At my trial, my personal log was introduced as evidence against me. How long did you wait outside my quarters before I noticed you? You knew? I tried to tell you, but you would not listen. Neither of us was hearing very well that night, Lieutenant. There were things I tried to tell you about having faith. You have betrayed the Federation. All of you. And what do you think you've been doing? Saving Starfleet. Klingons cannot be trusted. Sir, you said so yourself. They killed your son. Did you not wish Gorkon dead? Let them die, you said. Did I misinterpret you? And you were right. They conspired with us to assassinate their own chancellor. How trustworthy can they be? Yeah, so uh, the undiscovered country, you know, with, with Spock sort of forcing a meld there near the end on, on Valeris, his, sort of his protege, and in some people's minds, in, in some circles, people think they may have had a relationship, perhaps. But what do you think about that? Uh, I never really got... That the, I thought I thought that she was just basically sort of his his protege and someone that he wanted to take over for him on on Enterprise uh, when he retired or left Starfleet. I don't know. It's it's hard to say. It kind of seemed to me in that one that one scene where they're in his quarters and he's talking about how he has been you know found her performance satisfactory. I always thought there was more to it than just a mentor yeah. relationship there. Yeah. Um, uh, your cabin or mine tonight, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and hey, you know, Spock's allowed a little uh, a little, little fun now and then. Yeah, you know, he, he well, he had Savic, and then the, she, she kind of disappeared, and uh, and then they got uh, Valeris. I think the original idea, and I can't re recall the reasons behind it, but I think they, 
at one point we're going to we're going to use Savic again in this instead of Valeris. They were, and she she was doing something. Robin Curtis, you know me. You know, at that point, it was Robin Curtis playing her, which you know that kind of surprised me because they'd already replaced her, you know, Kirstie Alley, you know, to Robin, and right. and then I guess they didn't want to replace her a third time, so they decided. Well, let's go with another. And I also heard that, that perhaps they just they kind of changed their mind and didn't want to sully her character as much as you know. Valerius obviously turns into sort of a bad, a bad Vulcan here. Bad, bad Vulcan. Bad, bad Vulcan. Bad Valerius. So mm-hmm. next up, we're gonna we're gonna leave the movies, but we're gonna go off and, and talk about uh, Spock's uh, pretty cool and pretty neat appearance on uh, a two parter episode of TNG called Unification. Could be Pardek. Who is Pardek? He is a Romulan senator. Spock has maintained a relationship with him over the years. I don't know how they met. At the Kittimer Conference, I'd imagine. Pardek represented Romulus. Yes, sure he did. In fact, I recall Spock coming to me with optimism about maintaining a continual dialogue with the Romulans. I told him that it was illogical to maintain such an expectation. Spock was always so impressionable. This Romulan Pardek had no support at home. Of course, in the end, I was proven correct. I gave Spock the benefit of experience, of logic. Nevertheless, it has been suggested that Spock might have defected. Never. I will accept many things, but never that. But you believe he might have gone there to see Pardek? That's what he's done. He's gone to see Pardek. Do you know what business they might have together? No. I never knew what Spock was doing. When he was a boy, he would disappear for days into the mountains. I would ask him where he'd gone, what he had done. He refused to tell me. I insisted that he tell me. He would not. I forbade him to go. He ignored me. I punished him. He endured it silently, but always he returned to the mountains. One might as well ask the river not to run. But secretly, I... Admired him, the proud call of him that would not yield. I'll take this opportunity to remove my ears. Intrigues me. This Picard. In what manner, sir? Remarkably analytical and dispassionate. For a human. I understand why my father chose to mind meld with him. There's an almost Vulcan quality to the man. Interesting. I had not considered that. And Captain Picard has been a role model in my quest to be more human. More human? Yes, Ambassador. Fascinating. You have an efficient intellect, superior physical skills, no emotional impediments. There are Vulcans who aspire all their lives to achieve what you've been given by design. You are half human. Yes. Yet you have chosen a Vulcan way of life. I have. 
In effect, you have abandoned what I have sought all my life. May I ask a personal question? Please. As you examine your life, do you find you have missed your humanity? I have no regrets. No regrets? That is a human expression. Yes. Fascinating. You let that emotion sway you. On the contrary, I'm pursuing the most logical course. You're as skeptical as I am. Is it logical to ignore your own good sense? I fear the influence of Sarek has colored your attitudes, Captain, toward reunification and perhaps toward me. That is the second time you have accused me of speaking with another man's voice. It's true he will always be a part of me. His experience, his spirit. But I speak with my own voice, not his. Curious that I should hear him so clearly now that he is dead. It is possible that I have brought my argument with Sarek to you, Captain. If so, I apologize. Is it so important that you win one last argument with him? No, it is not. But it is true that I will miss the arguments. They were, finally, all that we had. But your fight with Salek is over, Spock. And you have none with me. I always had a different vision than my father. The ability to see beyond pure logic. He considered it weak. But I have discovered it to be a source of extraordinary strength. Sarek would have seen this mission of reunification as a fool's errand. Somehow I think it is not. Logic cannot explain why. I only know that I must pursue this, even if it leads you into a Romulan trap. Yeah, so this um, two-parter from TNG was really interesting. You know, you got to see Leonard Nimoy play Spock again on, on you know, with the TNG crew. In the first episode, although you just hear them talking about him, you know, Picard goes to visit Sarek. There's this idea that Spock is maybe gone over to the other side and is working with the Romulans in some capacity, and then it's discovered that he's really there as someone to try to reunify the two people, reunify the Romulans with the Vulcans, which we talked about way earlier, of that they are really basically from the same seed stock. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and uh, and then eventually, you know, Spock is is trying to work towards that goal and and then they you know, have data and spock which is fun in this episode because data of course was a a pretty much spock like character for tng and you know this this character that had no supposedly had no emotions very logical very smart but uh and then whereas spock always struggled with fighting his emotions and keeping them down and suppressed data always tried to figure out a way to have emotions and they have a couple of great scenes in this. Well, yeah, it's almost they're almost foils of each other. Yeah. You know, Spock is trying to be more like Data, and Data is trying to be more like a, human, a humanized Spock. Right, exactly. Um, I think that's real. I, I, I just think that's very interesting um, to, to think about the psychology around that whole thing. But, you know, and to watch the interaction between Spock and Picard, where Spock keeps thinking he's hearing Sarek's voice coming out of Picard, um, it's almost like Picard being the father figure in a way and allows Spock to have that repartee, that bouncing the ideas back and forth, yep. which is what they shared at, at the yep. end. Um, it, was, it was a really, I remember when that episode was first aired and I just thought it was so exciting to see Spock back on the show, even though we didn't see him until the last two minutes 
of the end of the first scene. Yeah, exactly. He walks out of that little cave kind of in the you dark. Yeah, I found him, Captain and, and it's like, you know, I keep I I remember it too, Rick. I was like, okay, come on, come on. When, when's he going to show up? When's he going to show up? You know, they're just talking and talking. And I think we knew and I knew that it was a two-parter. Uh, you know, so I kind of go, oh, they're going to play a little game with us. He's going to come in at the very end. But he was in, you know, the the second part, pretty much the whole the whole thing. And there was a lot of good stuff. And, of course, the sad thing that happens in this one is Spock learns that his father has died. He's passed away. Yeah. But I, but at the, the very end, in the scene when he melds with Picard, and then you see the pain of loss in Spock's face during the meld right away. Yes. That communicated... Way more than any dialogue could have ever communicated. Yeah, exactly. Something we can't really do on the audio podcast. But, uh, you know, they def- definitely cared for each other, Sarek and, and Spock, even though they, they had their difficulties over the years. And we're going to sort of flip back in time and play uh, a couple of clips from Sarek, the episode that uh, I guess it was on probably the season before this one, I think, perhaps. Yeah. Where so- he was going through the... the um, uh, the disease, the, ben, the Bendai syndrome. Yeah, Bendai syndrome, which which basically is another sort of like uh, Alzheimer's for Vulcans. I always thought it were basically they sort of lose their mind and they lose their ability to control their emotions. And yeah, it was a, it was a yeah that was a season three episode, same time as the Best of Both Worlds season. Right, and then the, and then the, the unification, unification was was, season, was four. season four. So we're gonna sort of skip back in time just a little bit and play a clip or two from uh, the episode with Sarek now. So we would do the. Yeah, those are uh, just these guys can act. Oh like... man, powerful <laughs> stuff. Yeah, Patrick Stewart and Mark Leonard in this episode are just fantastic. I mean, it's just so emotional, you know, for Vulcans to, you know, that he's going through all this, and 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 Picard and the meld that they do, and just it, it's just fantastic, really good stuff. Yeah, I just you know. This was a really awesome episode just to watch Sarek, you know, try to maintain his dignity. Yes. You know, I remember, when, I remember watching, that, watching that episode and seeing this tear and thinking, what is this episode about? Yeah. Because until then, you didn't really know what was oh, going yeah. on. Oh, it's, yeah. It's just so, even though you've only really seen Sarek and, you know, Mark Leonard playing him just a very few times... You, you really know him and you know that this is really not the way he, you know, is normally. And it, it, it's, it's, I think it's a very good, uh, they did an interesting thing here where they're trying to show a Vulcan going through this. Probably the most, you know, difficult thing that a Vulcan would ever have to deal with. And, and using that as sort of a springboard for people, you know, as they get older and they lose some of their abilities, you know, either mental or physical or both. And that's, you know, a very, very difficult thing. But for someone that's so proud and logical like a Vulcan to have all of that sort of... Stripped away. Yeah, yeah, yeah just just great, great stuff. So um, I think uh, we're getting kind of starting to wind down towards the end. You know, we wanted to do this podcast and focus mostly on Spock and, and Vulcans, give you some idea of the history and background. But we are going to slip in just a few other little clips uh, from some of the other... Uh, you know, we'd say, I guess, very big Vulcans in, in you know, Trek history. And I've got, uh, I think, maybe one or two here to play of uh, two, bu- two, I almost said Tubak. Two, excuse me. <laughs> it's getting a little late here. Tuvix. Yeah, no, not Tuvix, not Tubak, but Tuvok, Commander Tuvok from Voyager. So here, here's a clip, and I think I either have one or two clips to play. So here we go. 
I would prefer to be alone. Okay, all right. Far be it from me to bother anyone. If you really want me to leave, I'll leave. I really want you to leave. I don't believe you. Your voice says go away, but your heart wants me to make you smile. Please, go away. Come on! A little smile! How is it gonna hurt? I won't tell anyone. What must I do to convince you to stop? Come on, just a little itty bitty smile. Just let the mouth curl a little there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's an old Talaxian song my mother used to sing me as a child. I'm going to sing it to you every day from now on. It goes... I'm sorry. I... I... Computer, end holodeck program. Yes. Yes! Good morning, Captain. That's a matter of opinion. What is it? Internal scans haven't revealed anything about the genetic mutations. The doctor? Still offline. We are investigating the possibility... Inform me of any progress. Understood. There's one more thing. The incident with Tom and Bellana started me thinking about ship's protocol, or lack thereof. Captain? It seems to me that people have been getting a little too comfortable around here lately. They're late for their duty shifts, taking mess hall privileges during non-designated hours, and a lot of people are spending more time on the holodeck than they are at their posts. You are security, Chief. Don't 13 department heads report to you every day? Yes. Well, straighten them out. Shall I flog them as well? Yeah, so there is just a brief taste of, of uh, Mr. Vulcan. Mr. Vulcan, as Neelix would call him, but Tuvok. And the episode, the first clip was uh, from Meld. Is that it, Rick? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's where he's losing his emotions because he's he's melded with that the suitor guy, right? Yeah, who's a murderer. And he was trying to understand what that what Suda was going through, what his emotional right. you know, right. things around this were. And then all those violent tendencies were transferred into him. Yeah, it doesn't I don't think a Vulcan's probably the best to be melding with a guy who's pretty much a psychopath and uh exactly. <laughs> he can't really control it. But I love that scene with Neelix and, and he he always called the uh, Tuvok Mr. Vulcan and Neelix like, give me a smile and he and he sticks his finger over there and he's lifting up the corner of his mouth and, and then the other clip there with Janeway was just, you know, the the neat thing I liked about uh, Tuvok and Janeway's relationship is they had known each other a very long time and really trusted each other, and it shows up a lot of times throughout Voyager's run. And, of course, Tuvok was a, was a full Vulcan, hundred and some years old in, in, in Voyager. They never really, I don't think, revealed that. I remember one episode where they were trying to get him to admit how old he was, and uh, they couldn't do it. He, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't say. So, uh, But well, he, he left a wife back on Earth, too. Yes, he did. And Tuvok was in um, Star Trek The Undiscovered Country. Yes. And they even revolve and show an episode around that sort of situation or scene in the episode flashback of Voyager, where mm-hmm. they uh, go back in time and, well, don't really go back in time, but they 
sort of recreate that. They recreate it with a mind meld. Right. And uh, exactly. But yeah, he was a, he was a lieutenant on the Excelsior during Star Trek VI. He was on Excelsior's three-year mission. Yes. And after that mission, because he had such a bad experience he quit. with humans, yeah, he re- yeah he resigned yep. and went back to Vulcan. Yep. So there was a yeah quite a few. If you look at the history of Tuvok, you know, go to Memory Alpha or another good or Star Trek.com even, and uh, there were a lot of years he wasn't in Starfleet, but then he basically signed back up again and ended up with Voyager uh, and Janeway in the Delta Quadrant. So uh, next uh, we'll play just, uh, I think I'll only maybe have one clip, maybe two, of uh, T'Pol, of course, who was on Enterprise, uh, sort of uh, which preceded the original series and became then, you know, kind of they they... they twisted things slightly she was never really a member of starfleet so that's how they got around the whole spock was the first vulcan in starfleet situation but she became a pretty important member of the crew and archer's crew and and the thing that i enjoyed about that a lot and i think this clip uh, will show you that is the relationship between trip the engineer uh tucker and uh to paul and they ended up sort of having a relationship and I thought that was interesting. So here's a clip or two from uh, T'Pol on Enterprise. Kelby is a fine engineer, but he lacks experience. Why don't you just say it? Say what? That you want me to come back. I believe I did. I think your presence here would be extremely beneficial to our operations. No. But you want me back. I don't know what you mean. My mistake. See you around. Wait. Trip. I want you to come back. And I'll think about it. Trip. ago I told Captain Hernandez I wanted to transfer back to Enterprise three days ago I realized this is where I was meant to be and that uh, this thing between us isn't that big of a deal agreed guess we got a lot of work to do Okay, so there you just had a little bit of an exchange between uh, Trip and T'Pol and kind of a kiss and, ex- you know, express their feelings for each other because he was at one point leaving the Enterprise because getting all that neural pressure from T'Pol was kind of difficult for him to... Uh... <laughs> yeah, that's a really tough thing, right, Rick? That's... Uh... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to leave. Too much neural pressure for me. Yeah. Sure, okay. I don't know, man. I think that, that hey, no pressure for me anytime. Go to the Columbia? Come on. Are you crazy? <laughs> Leaving the, the hot Vulcan on the Enterprise? Come on. But yeah, I, I, but they, they had a good relationship, and, and, and it was an interesting thing to see where you don't have this situation even being half human. She's fully Vulcan and still seems to have um, this ability to try to integrate her emotions a little bit more than other Vulcans. I also have another Enterprise clip related to Vulcans, not to Paul, and I'm going to play that for you now. This is when um, there was an episode in the fourth season where the Katra of the 
legendary Surak gets yeah gets put into Captain Archer. So listen to this. War is taking its toll. Vulcan is tearing itself apart. Who are you? You know who I am, Captain. So much death. Hard to believe this will become known as the time of awakening. That was 1800 years ago. This doesn't feel like a dream. You're seeing the past through my eyes. Siren did something to me before he died. He chose you. <laughs> you don't trust Vulcans, Captain. Given your experiences with them, I can't say I blame you. The culture you've come to know isn't the one I helped to create. My people have strayed, and someone must restore them to the path. You've got the wrong man. Sorry, Captain. There's an Earth expression. We're stuck with each other. Don't fight what's been given to you. Open your mind and your heart, and the way will become clear. Captain. Captain. Which is very okay, cool. so there you have, uh, yeah, that was uh, from the fourth season of Enterprise, where the Katra of Surak gets put into Captain Archer, and he gets it back to, um, well, that place where they keep all those, or no, it gets put into someone else, right? Yeah, that's what happens. It doesn't get put into one of those little ball things or whatever they keep them in. It gets put into another person. Yeah, and I was reading in uh, On Memory Alpha that it says that there was... Um, one person can't hold a culture for too long. Okay, right. Otherwise, they eventually go insane because they, the the two personalities start to merge. Ah, uh, so, so that's that's where they have to long. put them in storage at Mont Soleil or whatever, yep. right? Yeah, I got to put them in uh, put them in those little. Well, the ones they keep completely. I guess eventually some of them they let go. You know, go up to Vulcan Heaven or whatever. So, well, Rick, I I think um, that's most of the clips that we had. You know, it's um. It's pretty hard to talk about such a big subject like Vulcan and and Spock and everything on on a just a quick you know hour two hour podcast. But do you have any parting words or anything or anything else that we you wanted to bring up about uh, 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 our pointy eared friends? <laughs> um, I don't know. I think we've covered so much of it. I think you know as much as people you know give have issues around Enterprise. Personally, I like the show. Um, it did a lot to further the understanding of Vulcans and their history. And I think that's there's a value there to that. So if for no other reason, there is a lot to be learned about Vulcans by watching what happened in the beginning years of our relationship with that race. Um, I, yeah, I, I yeah, guess definitely. I've always fallen in love with, with Spock. In fact, I thought my dad, when I was growing up, I used to think of him as Mr. Spock. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. My dad, my dad, I think he wouldn't get angry, but my dad was always very logical. And okay. when I was angry, he'd be like, use your head. 
for yeah. something other than a hat rack. Yeah. Let's think this through. And so I always thought of him as the logical, everything needs to be thought out. And in my own life as a dad with my kids who get emotional, sure. I am the same. I'm just like my father. Yeah. Let's think this through. Let's get upon the emotion. Yeah. And let's think this well, through. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's a good thing to... Uh to sort of, you know, I think there's a lot of good qualities of Spock and stuff, but I think there's times where, you know, emotion's good too as well. I I, I think basically I'm I'm losing it now. <laughs> I think I have Ben 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 Nye you have Ben Nye syndrome. Yeah, I don't know because I I think I used to be a lot more sensible and logical, and over the years it's becoming less and less. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I always kind of... Does that, does that mean Lynn is becoming more and more logical as you're becoming less and less <laughs> uh, logical? I think we balance each other out. Sometimes, <laughs> you know, she, she, she helps me. She's my, you know, uh, you know, why did you marry her? Well, at the time, it seemed the logical thing to do. So. <laughs> oh, is she, she listening to this? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> and no one else is going to send it to her either so, or, or clue her in on that. But anyway... Well, Rick, I, I want to really uh, just thank you a lot for helping with the clips and coming out here and eating my spicy chili. And, Which you know, was awesome. Thank you very much. Yeah, we had some had some good green tea, and, and uh, he's got me all geeked out to run over to Best Buy and buy an iPad now. So uh, it's... Uh, yeah, it was great. We, we we have to do this. I always say we have to do more of these, and it's a lot of fun. And takes a lot of time and work, but uh, it's a lot of fun to do, and I hope you guys enjoyed this. And as I always like to say, you know, when I do these shows, any of them really... There could have been about a million more clips and a lot of other aspects of, of Spock and Vulcans that we could have talked about. But, uh, well, if you want that, do your own podcast, right? <laughs> There's always stuff. I mean, we were basically looking through the clips that we collected and we were having to cut as we even we were recording. You know, okay, here's six clips. We only need one or two. Um, what have you got pulled up? Just, uh... oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> My my co-host here has reminded me quickly. We're going to use this to to, uh, to end the show with, uh, but it's a fantastic new song by our buddy Rick Moyer uh, called "What Is It Called?" Think like a Vulcan, right? Think is like that a is that his name? And and Rick always comes up with some fantastic tunes, and so that's going to end the show. That will take a, take us out with that, as they say in in Radio Land. So another original, yes, by another Mr. Moyer, yes, exactly. And this is uh, I know you guys are all going to enjoy it, and thanks, Rick, so much for doing it. Uh, that's that's fantastic. Next uh, next week on the podcast, we're also going to have another co-host, Brompton Boy or Peter or Pete uh, Brompton Boy from the forums is going to join me. We are going to we won't be in the same place location wise, although he's welcome to come to Rock Tween and. and uh, into you know to the other alternate Rico cave here and uh, but he is going to get together with me. We'll probably be doing this over Skype uh, and we're going to talk about the TOS episode of Bread and Circuses. So that'll be next week and in two weeks we're going to do a Halloween episode with a look at the original Halloween movie by John Carpenter because it is getting to be that time of year. So cool. Yeah. All right, Rick. Well, thanks very much for joining me. This is Rick and Rico R and R. Signing off. Any anything else you want to say? Live long and prosper. Live long and prosper. Yes, live long and prosper. May the force be with you. Oh, I, <laughs> who said that? <laughs> Kapla. Kapla. Yes. Ah, <laughs> uh, the Vulcans and the Klingons and the Klingons together. Yeah. Oh, we were going to talk a little bit about the language thing, weren't we? But we kind of skipped over that, didn't we? Uh, oh, that's yeah. right. All right. Well, we'll save that for another we'll time. We're going to talk about a little bit about the weird Vulcan language and the fact that we thought that Spock may have just chosen his own name since his real name is unpronounceable. But we're going to kind of talk about that, but we won't now. Too bad. You lose. <laughs> All right, here's Rick Moyer's new song, Think Like a Vulcan. Talk Like a Vulcan?
Walk like a Vulcan. What is it again? <laughs> Think like a Vulcan. Think like a Vulcan, of Logically. course. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, really appreciate it. Join the forum if you're not there and all that good stuff. So talk to you again next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Enemies by pinching on a
This has been a Rick Dosty Podcast production.